Welcome to the Go Well podcast. This is Kate Mercer and today I'm talking with Dr. Jean Spinks. Dr. Jean Spinks is trained as a health economist, pharmacist and health systems researcher and has extensive experience across these three disciplines. She is currently a research fellow at the Centre for Applied Health Economics at Griffith University. Her research focuses broadly on the integration of medication and medication services in primary care. Current projects involve the development, implementation and evaluation of Indigenous Medication Review Service, innovative pharmacist workforce models of care and consumer preferences for medication services. She has also published in the areas of medicines pricing, complementary medicine use and the disposal of unwanted medicines. Jean has worked in community and hospital pharmacy in Australia and internationally in the Asia-Pacific region, including in Papua New Guinea, Indonesia and Tonga. Thanks for joining me, uh, Dr. Jean Spinks, on Go Well today. Thanks very much, Kate. Lovely to be here. Okay, so let's uh, let's start with if you can explain what the integration of medicine and medicine services in primary care is. Yeah, thanks, Kate. Um, I guess probably the best place to start is to talk about why people take medicines in the first place. So yep. the use of medicines in, in our population has really increased over the past few decades, and that's for a range of reasons. So one reason is there's more medicines available that have been developed to uh, treat health conditions. But the other reason is the extraordinary rise um, in the use of medicines that treat preventable health conditions like cardiovascular disease and, and diabetes. It's been estimated that probably 70% of cardiovascular disease um, in Australia is caused by things like high blood pressure, high cholesterol and physical inactivity. So taking a health, a preventive health approach, our, I guess our first aim is to keep people off medicines in the first place when mm. at all possible and, mm. and think about healthy choices around lifestyle like stopping smoking and reducing alcohol and eating well and exercising because really that's the best prevention, I guess. But if you are recommended by your doctor to start taking medicines, especially long-term, we have to remember that, that this is not entirely risk-free so all medicines um, from paracetamol to morphine can have unwanted effects and potentially dangerous effects. And we also know that the more medicines that you take, um, the more risk you are at what we, um, of having what we call a medication-related problem. So we did some research recently um, looking at how many people in Australia are taking multiple medications, and we know that more than 8% of the to total population of Australia, so more than 2 million people, are taking five or more medicines on a regular basis. So this could be prescription medicines, it could be over-the-counter medicines, uh, like painkillers or cough and cold preparations that you can get from your pharmacist, and it can even be complementary medicines. And I think um, many of us know people who are taking a lot of medicines, and some of us will probably know people who are quite confused by mm. their medicine. Mm. Um, this is you know, quite a dangerous position to be in for a consumer. Um, and it's really why medicine use needs to be integrated or coordinated with other health services. So if primary care is the everyday care that you get from your GP, from your pharmacist, your physio, your dietitian, or even complementary medicine practitioner, um, it's, it, it's the care you get without having to need a referral. It's your most accessible care. So we call that a, a primary healthcare system, but I, I think this is a rather generous definition because it implies that 
all the care you're receiving is coordinated. And whilst we've probably made improvements in, in care coordination um, over the last few decades, we really have a long way to go to make it a system, I would argue. Um, so different health practitioners know different bits of, of information about you. And, and this can be problematic when it comes to medicines because you might have multiple practitioners either prescribing or recommending you take something which might interact with something that you're already taking and, and cause a problem. And I guess med medicines work differently as well for different people. So, you know, some people, uh, people need to take different doses of medication to get the same effect. You know, doses need to be adjusted to make sure there's enough um, to get a good effect, but not too much so that it can cause a toxicity or a, or a side effect. And sometimes um, pathology tests are needed to monitor how much medicine's in your, in your body or what effect it might be happy, um, having. So, you know, how well, for example, um, your diabetes is, is controlled, is tested by having a HbA1c test um, to see how well it's working and how well your, your blood glucose is being controlled over time. Um, and even though a doctor might have prescribed something for you safely to begin with, it might become unsafe over time if, if that might, the medicine or the effect of the medicine isn't managed or followed up. So even something as simple as changing doctors might mean that something gets missed in your medication list. You might visit a number of different GP surgeries or see specialist doctors as well, and they might not know or have an idea of the complete list of medicines that you're currently on. Um, and I guess we can have the opposite problem too, um, whereby you're not um, getting enough medicines. So for people that don't manage to control their chronic conditions like heart disease or diabetes and who should really be on medicines, sometimes there's reasons why they aren't taking them. So first of all, they might not know um, that they should be taking them. They haven't been screened or identified as, as being someone who should be thinking about it. They might not think that they're at risk. You know, I think we've done research into looking at how people perceive their own risk and people can wildly over and underestimate um, how at risk they are. Um, but there's also other reasons why people don't get medicines like cost or maybe even cultural beliefs. Um, pharmacists can be seen as, a, as an authority figure, you know, in a white coat hidden down the back of a pharmacy somewhere and um, sometimes the consumer might not have had a chance to build a relationship with their local pharmacist or they don't have a good relationship with their with their local GP. That's all about medication management. It really is. And, and sometimes the really, you know, the first time that we know um, something is wrong at the really end of a uh, serious end of the spectrum, it's when people turn up in the emergency department. You know, they might arrive with a heart attack or a stroke or a serious asthma attack that could have been prevented if they were taking appropriate medicines. Um, but that's been missed in the system. And mm. um, then they're, they're really at, at risk of um, a, a life-threatening condition. What we're trying to do is, is optimise, you know, the health gains we can get by taking medication, um, but minimising any of the potential harms.
And you've just undertaken a review, the Indigenous Medication Review, which you've just completed. What can you tell us about that in regard to what you're talking about there? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Kate. Um, so we did find that um, for some groups of consumers, um, so for example, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, they can not have good access to um, medication review service. So for those uh, listeners who haven't heard about this service before, it's something that pharmacists can provide to people who are who are taking multiple medications. And in essence, it's a it's a chat. It might take an hour or so. And normally it would take place in someone's home. And the pharmacist can actually talk to the consumer about what they're taking, whether they have um, good understanding of why they're taking it and whether they, they have concerns or side effects, um, how well they're managing their medications and for people who are um, confused, perhaps people have um, early dementia or, or, or an issue such as that, they can then put in place um, uh, dose aids or something that can help them manage their medications better. And what we were finding is that for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, they may not have a good relationship with a pharmacist to go and set that service up. Um, a lot of people don't want that service undertaken in their own home they would like to have um, the involvement of an Aboriginal health worker or a nurse or someone that they know and trust already and to really then bring the pharmacist into their usual care, I guess, you know, and integrate that, that pharmacist in, 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 their, um, in their usual health service. So a lot of um, people would, uh, would use um, community-controlled health services, for example. So what we did in that trial was actually start to remove some of those um, barriers and some of them are funding barriers so that consumers um, could access those services more easily, start to build a trusting relationship um, with their pharmacist and also for the pharmacist and the doctor to communicate um, more easily between themselves about any problems that were identified. So for example, if someone's not taking enough medicines or they're taking too many medicines or they need a lab test, to get that sorted out uh, as fast as possible. Okay, so let me just go back over that a little bit. Uh, so at the moment, there's no platform available where, number one, a consumer, for instance, could go onto a website, say like onto a pharmacy website, uh, and talk virtually to anyone about their medication and there's also no communication or is there some communication between pharmacists and GPs? There's absolutely communication between uh, pharmacists and GPs but it's possibly not as regular um, as we would like or as systematic as we would like um, particularly in the area of something like medication safety but also more broadly around, you know, how well a consumer is doing in terms of their own health literacy. You know, what questions to ask is mm. sometimes a difficult question for consumers. Mm. Uh, you don't know what you don't know. And so I think, you know, whilst it, it, it's fantastic that consumers are becoming more and more involved in their own care and, um, and, and turning to powerful tools like the internet to get information, information, it may not be the information that, that they're looking for. So it may not be reliable potentially if you're not, not trained to be able to screen out reliable from unreliable information, you may get misinformation potentially. 
Um, and it may not be as comprehensive as someone needs. So if you if you you could just Google information on a particular medication, but if you're taking five or six or seven medications, it starts to get very confusing. And there's a limit probably to what a, a regular consumer can actually identify and process without you know a bit of help. Yeah, I was actually just thinking as well that do you think there's an issue for people? I'm just thinking of myself when I'm in with a with my doctor, that they're the authority figure. So in terms of asking questions, well, you sort of you're putting your life in their hands, really, aren't you? As you sort of feel, I guess, uh, sometimes you don't feel you should ask questions. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that the whilst things are, are changing and um and we are developing better relationships, I think, as consumers with our health practitioners. It takes time for that, that relationship to change, doesn't it? Mm. Um, and I think there's time constraints. Sometimes I think people don't want to bother their doctor. You know, you've got 15 minutes and you've got a list of things that you would like to have addressed on that day. And if you're having something um, like a potential side effect, you know, that, that could be troubling you, it may not be at the top of the list. And um, so people leave it often, mm. I think, or they mm. may not recognise it as a potential mm. side effect. And so having a bit more time to discuss it with someone like, like a pharmacist in a medication review service, for example, can be really beneficial um, to consumers mm. for, for um, putting their mind at ease, I think, mm. um, and being able to explore those, those options and those considerations in a safe space. Okay, so just going back to my previous question, and I realise that you may not have the answer to this, but is there currently any, like there's a, a platform online for to, to speak to a pharmacist? Nothing that a pharmacist would be remunerated for. So there's no current service that I'm aware of whereby a consumer could just jump online and, and get, you know, detailed advice, no. Okay. All right. Okay. So I'm going to change the uh, the subject matter now, but now and go over to hospitalisation. So, in Australia, 250,000 hospital admissions and 400,000 emergency presentations per year are due to potentially preventable medication-related hospitalisations. Can you give some examples of what sort of hospital admissions might be potentially preventable? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I'll draw um, on some work by some colleagues down at UniSA from a few years ago um, for this in particular. So Lisa Kalish and, and Libby Ruffhead um, have a particular interest in medication safety and they analysed a really large cohort um, of veterans. Uh, the reason why it was veterans is that they've got a very rich data set that they're able to explore um, and they had more than 100,000 people in this data set and more than, um, more than a million and a half hospitalisations that they could look at. And what they found was that reasons such as asthma um, and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, uh, stroke, fractures and, uh, from falls, um, including hip fractures, and overuse of, of opioids and psychotropic medications are all some of the more preventable um, uh, reasons for why people uh, could be turning up in hospital. So, for example, um, you know, possibly almost 20% of strokes are potentially preventable and they're medication related in that if you were taking the appropriate medication beforehand, it's unlikely that you would have turned up. 
um, with a stroke in hospital. But mm. you can also have things like hip fractures or falls, which is around 10 to 15% of these, these issues turning up in hospital are found to be preventable. And this is just in a, in a group of veterans. So obviously these rates are going to be different for different groups and over time. But they're some of the, the, the big ticket items, if you like, um, around medication safety that are really concerning um, health policymakers these days. So how are you actually identifying people at greatest risk? So in a cohort like that, we can actually look at the people who've been hospitalised and then look backwards, if you like, and, and look at the medications that they were taking and the care that they received. But I guess really to, to do something about the issue, if you like, we need to be able to uh, proactively identify people who are at risk so that we can get to them before the problem occurs. We want to keep them out of hospital. So uh, the thing that's really changed in, you know, in the last 10 years is um, the electronic uh, health record uh, for people. And I'm, I'm not just talking about my health record, which is held by um, the government, but also electronic records that are held by doctors mean that we can much more efficiently find people who have particular diagnoses um, and are taking particular medications and fit particular criteria that we now know puts them at risk of these problems. So if we can get um, a system in place um, at the primary care level where we can look at health records and say, okay, here's our list of people who are potentially at risk, we can then actually systematically work through that list and look at the issues that might be available and do something about it beforehand, before anything bad happens, to improve both the optimization of the, you know, the benefit that they're going to get from that medicine, but also to pre prevent them going into hospital as well. And that's essentially what you're going to be doing in this new uh, three-year study. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, absolutely. So this is really exciting. So this is... Um, funded uh, through the medical, um, uh, the MRFF um, program, so through the, the federal government. And we'll be doing exactly what I was saying. So we're going to actually look proactively through clinical records for people at risk, but we're going to go a step further. And what we need to do is actually um, remove some of the structural barriers as to why health practitioners don't go looking for these issues at the moment. And some of those issues are, are quite simple. They, they need to be um, fitted into existing workflows and they also need to be paid for these issues. Mm. So pharmacists and doctors um, will be remunerated to actually work through these lists um, and uh, find people at risk and then contact consumers if that's required and proactively um, make changes so that the person goes back into a safe um, category and off the at-risk list. Um, yeah, and so I guess some of, some of the issues around that, though, are, are actually developing how pharmacists and doctors are going to be able to work together. This is a new way for pharmacists and doctors to work. So we're going to the plan at this stage is to co-design the process between doctors and pharmacists um, so that they uh, can have a say in, in how it's going to best fit into their practice. 
Equally important is that consumers need to have a say about how they would like to be contacted. So, you know, a consumer, um, it'd be very rare at the moment for a consumer to be contacted proactively by a doctor or pharmacist to say, hey, you know, we've, we've found this problem in your medication list. Um, we'd really recommend that you either come in for a chat or you, you know, get a lab test done or whatever. And we don't know how consumers would feel about having that that um, communication and whether they'd prefer to have it by phone or whether they'd prefer to get it by a digital means such as um, MedAdvisor, which is an app that a lot of consumers are already using to get information about their medicines um, or some other way. Um, and we want to be really inclusive around this process. We don't um, want uh, at you know more vulnerable risks, uh, more vulnerable populations such as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, um, people um, who speak a language other than English at home, um, homeless people, for example, to actually miss out on this service. So we have to go to consumers and say, you know, how would it, how would you feel about getting this service? Um, mm. Do you think it's valuable? How would you like to be contacted? Who would you like to contact you about this? Yeah, incredible study. It's going to be, you know, I'd say, and that's fabulous over three years. Um, there's another question I've got here, which may be a little bit outside of your remit, but just in case, what about the black market and forged prescriptions and people who doctor shop? Are they... I mean, they would be a pretty high-risk group and those numbers are going up a lot, aren't they? Is that right? Absolutely. Yes, they absolutely are. Whilst it's difficult to probably get good figures on forged prescriptions and the, and the like, we do know that the rate of prescribed opioids has dramatically increased um, over the past few decades and that's often related to the practice of do doctor shopping. So for listeners who aren't familiar with that term, doctor shopping is where consumers might go to a number of different doctor's surgeries to try to get prescriptions um, for drugs uh, that could be addictive, such as opioids, um, uh, thinking that that one doctor won't know that another doctor has already prescribed that medication. Now, in some states, um, that is being limited um, by uh, uh, software systems that can actually identify when people are taking, um, are getting multiple prescriptions for these drugs, but it's not uniformly implemented across Australia as yet. But uh, a paper a few years back did analyse the records from the pharmaceutical benefits scheme to have a look at um, the prescribing and the dispensing of op opioids in Australia. And I think the study was between about 1990 and 2015. And, and, and they found over that time that the dispensing of opioids had increased fourfold. So an absolutely rapid increase of these types of medications. And and the types of medicines being dispensed in this category have changed as well. So oxycodone and fentanyl and tramadol um, and those types of medicines are, are much more commonly um, prescribed and dispensed here. So whilst we probably don't have the same um, uh, level of problem as, as they do in the USA or Canada, it's still a really big mm. issue here. And, and, and it's not just opioids but other addictive psychotropic medicines like benzodiazepines. So, so consumers might know them by names like Valium or Temase. Um, and, and these drugs interact with opium, uh, with opioids and, and can put you at risk of an overdose. And if you add alcohol into that mix, um, it's, it's potentially lethal cocktail. And it's responsible for, for a lot of overdoses every year. I think um, some recent figures that I saw 
showed that more than 1,000 Australians died in 2016 from opioid-induced deaths, and I think around 75% of those deaths were due to prescription opioids rather than illegal drugs like heroin. So it's it's a really big problem. Mm, yeah, okay. I've been doing a bit on it uh, in, in previous interviews, so thanks for going into that a bit further. So maybe just to summarise, um, and as far as the consumer is concerned, it's important for people to know that things can change quickly when you take medication and they can move into a higher at-risk category. Do you want to just make a final comment on that and what we've spoken about today? Yeah, that sounds great. Um, I I probably have three um, (laughs) messages to consumers, if that's okay. So first of all, I think um, practising a healthy lifestyle wherever possible um, and, and, and urging people to try to avoid having to take medicines for preventable chronic illness, it would be my first message. Fantastic. Um, because it does actually put people at higher risk, yeah? Mm-hmm. So if you do get assessed by a doctor or pharmacist um, that you do need a medicine um, and you have to take a medicine, on, especially on an ongoing basis, uh, I would urge people to really get involved in that process, ask a lot of questions, make, make sure that your questions have been answered um, uh, so that you've got a good understanding of, of where things are going. And it all, you know, if at all possible, be a partner in in the decisions that are being made um, with your doctor and pharmacist. Um, And then I guess for people taking multiple medications, I would really urge them to speak with their pharmacist or doctor um, if they are being confused or if you're caring for someone who appears to be confused about their medicines, really advocate on behalf of that person and get them extra support from their regular pharmacist or doctor so that they can have systems put in place to get the most out of their medicines and to really reduce them, um, reduce their risk of being at harm. Fantastic. Golly, lots of really good tips there. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Jean Spinks. Um, Really valuable information. Thank you so much. Pleasure, Kate. Thank you.